Oh, this was going to be fun, man. I'm talking to the man. I'm talking to the man today, and the man looks good. The man looks good. The man looks great. He's a young man, and he is the man. Hey, it's BT on Tales. We're with Jim and I, and we're going to get it right to it. A special, it's like a Sunday. Usually I do these on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, but I've been traveling a lot, and I wanted to get this guy on forever, actually, forever and a day, because this guy was like, and he still is, I think, the, the, one of the few, or one of the first that I know of when I first started getting into motorcycles, he was one of the first that I'm going over to Europe and show these guys what's up. And I remember meeting, and I heard about this guy from his manager, and it's like, hey, it's this one kid, man, I, we're going to see. And then I meet him, and you meet this kid, you go, this guy's great. And then you see this guy, look at these Sunday matinee idol good looks. I remember <laughs> you, you were like 12 or 13, I think it was. Do you remember meeting me for the first time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was at Coda. Yeah, I remember that. I was like, this kid right here. And you were like the nicest kid ever, just <laughs> packed full of talent. I was like, okay. And now look at you, man. Y'all grown up. And did I just found out he's got his own condo. How old are you now? 18. You're 18 with your own condo. How do you pull that off? So basically what I did was, was going back, um, what I ended up doing, because obviously credit's the most important thing. So what I did was at 16, I ended up putting myself as one of, as an authorized user on one of my mom's credit cards. So right when I turned 18, I already had a credit score. And then what I did from there was I got a credit card at right on my 18th birthday. And then I got a personal loan and uh, just start building it from there. <laughs> I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> At 18, I think I got like a, a bottle of polo cologne. I, <laughs> I, I think I got polo cologne. And I think I moved out of my parents' house to a dorm room, a stinky dorm room in Miami, Oklahoma, so I could pursue my wrestling career, which lasted about a month. And this kid gets, this kid gets a credit card. I hate you. I really hate you now. You're living the dream in 19, a condo. Living it by yourself? You living by yourself? Yes. Yep. All me. <laughs> I hate you, David. I hate you. I really do. But, man, seriously, congratulations on that. You know what, honestly, that is? That's great parents. I mean, Wyatt, I thought you. I thought your parents were great. I'm sorry. This is even better. My producer is about your age. He's just a little bit older. He's two years older than you, and he mm-hmm. owns all this right here, right? I mean, we're on the streets of Indianapolis. Everybody walks by. That's why I'll be talking to you, and you'll see me wave because people can hear us. We're broadcasting that live on, on the streets whatever. And okay. I thought his parents were But, man, honestly, I think he's got you beat, bro. I think so. I, think yeah, I, might I gotta, go I gotta owe pretty much everything to my parents. You know, one thing that I always appreciated from my parents was growing up, I never necessarily had all the things they never had. Like they never spoiled me or bought me all these crazy things, but they always taught me things they were never taught. You know, and that's something I really appreciate now as I'm getting older. Getting older. You're 19. You're getting older. Man, as I'm getting, oh my God. You're only two, as he's getting, oh my gosh. It's serious. As he's getting, okay, what things do they teach you? What things do they teach you? Well, I mean, the big thing, um, from, from my dad, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to pinpoint one thing, but you know, there was little things that he would do, you know, as I was a little kid, kind of like, for example, when I was racing in Europe and stuff like that, or traveling a lot, um, he would have me do a lot of things all on my own, do a lot of things independently. And it kind of gave me that sense of not necessarily relying on others for certain things, you know? So then at a young age, when I really was traveling to Europe all by myself, it wasn't one of those things where I was afraid or nervous or I couldn't handle it mentally because I had been in that position kind of before. Um, 
But. No, I, I like that, man. I, I was, was going to ask you about that. Like, what was it like? And, I, and I'm just going to go all, all, all over the place, actually. But yeah, when you traveled in Europe, because like I said, you were like the product. You were like the first one that I know of that was like went over to Europe at a young age. Like, OK, I'm, I'm going to test my, you know, test my talents yeah. against these guys. So you were over there. Like, how uncomfortable did you feel or, were you, or, or did you go into that situation knowing you were going to be uncomfortable and dealing with that? Because they say... One of the greatest quotes I think somebody said was, it's always good to feel a little bit uncomfortable because you become more focused that way. Absolutely. So for me, it was kind of interesting, right? It was even with the emotions, it was kind of all over the place. So originally how that even came to be with me racing in Europe was at 11 years old, I won the national championship here in the U.S. racing a 125 against adults. And so for me, because of my age, I couldn't race Moto America. I couldn't really progress. So there was nowhere really for me to go. And at the time I was sponsored by Dionysi Leather Suits. Yes. And they put me in contact with a team called RME Moto and the Moto3 Italian Moto3 Championship. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, they said they were a part of the VR46 Academy, which which was cool. And um, they basically said, we'll give you one wild card ride. You know, it'd be good publicity for us having an American rider come to the Italian championship on an Italian team. So they said it for us, it was a no brainer, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so initially going there mentally, it was all excitement. Like I'm so excited. You know, it's, it was nothing but positive thoughts. Like there wasn't, and it, again, I was 11 years old. I, I had just turned 12. I ended up riding on track the day after my 12th birthday. Cause they had to make an exception for the rules with the minimum age requirement. Yeah. So originally it was 13, they changed it to 12. And um, so for me, it was just a 12-year-old kid, nothing but positive, like, oh, I get to race in Italy, you know. Um, same with my parents, you know. My, my dad had never raced a motorcycle previously, so this was all new experience for him. He, now he's seeing these tracks you see on TV watching MotoGP. And um, so we ended up going there, and um, I ended up finishing fifth out of the best 30 Italian kids. And... Um, from that point, um, the team told me, they said, you know, honestly, when we heard a young kid was coming over from America, we really didn't expect much. We expected it to be a fun experience and that was going to be it. But after I ended up doing well, they ended up signing me for the rest of that season and the next two seasons following that. So emotionally and mentally, you know, kind of going from there, things definitely changed. And the reason I say that is because from that point moving forward, I kind of had a different expectation, you know, it went from, you know, the kid that's going to do a wild card race in Italy, it's going to be cool to, okay, this guy, we're expecting him to win the Italian championship, go to the Moto3 World Championship, go to MotoGP. And for me, you know, I've always been the type of person where I'm my own worst critic, yeah. right? Well, yeah, we all are. At least you should be, I think, you know? And for me, mentally, you know, I'm the type of person where, it can help me to the extreme. Like when there is pressure or whatever I've had to do well, you know, I go above and beyond and do exceed my own expectations, you know? And, and so for me, when there was that added bit of pressure, you know, it wasn't necessarily always a good feeling. I think Jorge Lorenzo even said himself, you know, it's the worst feeling in the world. You feel weak, you know, when you're nervous or anxious, but that's usually when I would do my best. Um, so going over there, I kind of used that part of it as an advantage for me, you know, whenever I raced. Now, did, did you do any special? Because I know they say you're one of the most like 
focus people or that's where you focus like you know when it comes to racing in the paddock you're one of the most focused people even at your young age to be able to to process that at 12 i mean that's unbelievable because that's sixth grade yeah. basically it's i mean if i can imagine me at sixth grade man, I, I honestly i couldn't tell you what i was thinking but it wasn't anything like that it wasn't any adult thoughts so how mm-hmm. did you process that and how did you focus on that knowing that there is pressure like okay you come with a race and yeah it's gonna be fun but we want you to win this championship we want you to get from this step to this step and then we want you to go here so how did you even process did you understand what pressure was back then though absolutely and so what i kind of figured out was because previous to that, I was racing here in America in the Weir Championship, and there wasn't really any pressure. You know, it was kind of a fun thing I was doing with my dad. And at that point, that's when the flip switched. Um, the switch flipped, and um, at that point, it was serious. You know, we weren't playing games. This was this was what I wanted to do for a living. This is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And um, what what I found kind of the mental approach that helped me. You know, it may not necessarily sound the best, or it might sound bad. Um, but it's just what worked for me was whenever I had that kind of pressure added to me or I had sponsorship or whatever, I would kind of tell myself, you know, at the end of the day, the only reason I'm doing this is because I enjoy it. And because I want to succeed, you know, if I didn't want to, then I wouldn't be doing this. I'd be going to school like a regular kid and I would go to college or whatever. I would, I would do something else, you know, but the reason I'm here and the reason I'm doing this is because I want to do this. And this is something I'm really passionate about. And this is something I love, which I can understand how I might come across as arrogant or selfish, but you know, that's kind of what worked for me. So when there was added pressure from outside kind of noise, I just took it as, you know, it's something I need to do and something I want to do myself and I would get it done. Wow. Like that is, it's always amazing to me, the little kids. I mean, we talk about the pressures of, of adult athletes, but the fact that no one talks about, because I think that's what I love about motorcycle racing. It's more of a niche sport, a niche sport in the sense of, you know, you get that access to riders that, you know, you don't get that in the NFL or the NBA. You can't get close to those guys, but in racing, we can. So you can be there and to see that, like from racing, like you said, in the weird championships, having a good time to going, okay, this is what I want to do for a living. Do you, can you pinpoint the exact moment that happened was, where you're like in uh, talking to your dad, where you're on a racetrack? Was it like, I don't know, was it a dream? When was the exact moment you go, this is what I want to do for a living? right after I ended up finishing fifth in that first race. I remember coming back to the, to the box with all the team and everyone was excited. And my dad was like, he was so happy. He was just about in tears. And, you know, at that point I was like, okay, this is, this isn't a joke anymore. You know, this is, this is serious. We're not playing. We're not, this is, this is what I, what I want to do. Wow. that's And you got your first bike, what, at three? Three years old. Yep. I ended up, um, it was a little dirt bike. It was a little PW50. Everybody started on a PW50. Everybody. Yeah, yeah. I started on a Z50, a Honda Z50. You start, everybody yeah. starts on a PW50. Yeah. Well, actually, I don't really count this, but at two years old, I was riding with training wheels on a little CRF50, a little Honda CRF50. <laughs> Are you serious? At two? Yeah. At yep. two? Were you, were you even potty trained? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I don't remember that much of it. <laughs> you don't know if he's potty trained, but he's racing motorcycles. He has like a potty train break like, hey, dad, I'll be right back. Why? I think a I got to poop. A couple of things that was funny was I remember I learned how to ride a motorcycle before I learned how to ride a bicycle. And um, my parents have a video somewhere. I don't know. I don't know where they have it kept, but there's a video of 
on Christmas when I, when I got my first motorcycle yeah. and in the video, you could see, I, cause they had it in the garage, like Santa brought you a motorcycle. And I was so excited. I was like shaking and it, it it's cute. Um, but I think the biggest thing was the passion was always kind of there. Like it was always something I always loved, you know, ever since I have memory, you know, motorcycles have just been part of my life. Like it's, I can't imagine it without. I, it, it's amazing how you can find that passion at, at, at such an early age. That's the great thing about it. At an early age, you find it and it never leaves you. You know, that's the third because as kids, you know, things come and go like dinosaur. I think every kid goes to that dinosaur stage and they're ah, and then like, okay, I'm done with this. And then they move on to something else. But did you have a dinosaur stage when you were a kid? Um, I actually, I, I always loved animals. I always loved lions. So that, that was, the, that was kind of the phase <laughs> I went through. I always loved like, apparently my parents said like in, in, in preschool and stuff, I would line up all the animals and I would put all the predators together and things like that. So that was kind of my animal stage. <laughs> but you still had motorcycles. I still had motorcycles. <laughs> but you never outgrew motorcycles, man. Now, I know your parents, your parents didn't come from a racing background at all, did they? Not at all. So actually, both my parents were originally born in Europe. My dad was born in Romania. My mom was born in Poland. They both came at a, at a young age. Um, my dad actually has kind of a neat story. They, my, my dad and his family came from a small village in Romania. Very, very poor. Um, and from there, you know, neither of my uh, grandparents from my dad's side um, really made much money. They came from very, very humble beginnings. Um, my grandpa was a mechanic. Um, my grandma was a, um, worked in a warehouse, a factory. Mm-hmm. But um, my dad always kind of had that, you know, that, that hunger inside him. You know, he was always kind of a go-getter. He was, yeah. and um, so for him, he moved out at an early age at, at 18. And um, he kind of started doing his thing from there. And, and one thing that he said, which, which was kind of interesting, was he said ever since he had memory, he loved motorcycles. And he saved up his money. And on his 16th birthday, he went and he bought a bike. And um, my mom, she came, she came from a middle-class family, um, nothing, uh, nothing too crazy. And, um, you know, they came over and that was kind of from there. It's kind of funny. Both my parents grew up in a very close by neighborhood and they didn't meet until they were both in their, uh, my mom was in her thirties. My dad was in his twenties. And, um, but anyway, my dad, he kind of, um, he did as a hobby, you know, he rode bikes on the street. He never did much. He ended up doing some track days. He was always a fan of like MotoGP, Mm -hmm. AMA at the time. Um, but he never, he never raced. He never competed. And so how did you, so those, I guess those roots or whatever came to you and now you, it's, you, do you feel like he's living the dream through you in a, in a way, in a way? Um, I think that he definitely, and that's kind of where, where I get into the, uh, he taught me things he was never taught. Like there's, we, me and my dad are so close. Like, we're I, like I love it. Yeah. I, I see the pictures, man. And it just, it hits me right here. Cause it's genuine and I love it. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. And so for us, um, you know, with us, we've always been so close and, you know, I mean, it might be biased, but I personally don't think he kind of lives through me. I think that he, um, just based on the way I see him talk to other people or interact, you know, he, he seems like he's just really proud. And I really appreciate that. You know, it always makes me feel good to make my dad proud. And like, there was a few things like my first ever race win on a motorcycle happened to be on father's day. Oh, um, that's great. Love my that. first, my first professional podium was on my dad's birthday, you know, like things like, like weird little coincidences like that, like just make us super close. 
What is it about? Okay, road racing families and motocross families are different. Motocross is a little more like I think I think it's Villapoto. I think he is like like they they were a very strange uh, a strange relationship for the longest. I think they're I think they're good now, but motocross like stresses families out to the point of like I mean I don't know what it is. I mean they're both expensive sports. The kids start off early. They got to make a decision like you said like you said about nine or ten. Like hey, you want to do this for a living? Because I got to put the house up for a mortgage or whatever so but it's like motocross but it's like road racing families are more close-knit and and they keep it together where motocross families look like they're like like a jerry springer episode so like why is that do you think so honestly even in road racing you'll see things like that happen like for example jorge lorenzo him and his father never had a good relationship you know and same with casey stoner him and his father don't have a good relationship and i can i could kind of see why that might be um like there's even been times, you know, in racing with my dad and I, where we've got into it or we've had disputes and, and like you know, over, I, what? I, over what, like what? Well, the big things, the big serious things and which can affect any of the families would be, you know, at that point, like when I'm racing in Europe, when another kid is, is racing in Europe and the family really does mortgage a house, you know, at that point, the parents kind of put that pressure and they have that expectation for their kid. Like, okay, you have to go and do this because I did this for you. And that's where kind of, you leave that, fun, happy, loving kind of environment. And you get into the more serious business part of it, where you think about at 12 years old, 13 years old, a kid doesn't think that way. You know, that's just, that's just not on their head. So that's where, you know, you kind of, you see kind of that hate get built. Um, But, you know, with my dad and I, he never really kind of put that on me. You know, I've seen that with other kids that I've raced against and, and their father, some relationships, but like, my dad never put that on me. Like he always made it very clear that the only reason he was doing this was because he was happy to, or because he wanted to just because, you know, he never put that expectation on me. Like, yeah, I'm doing all this for you now, but you're going to do this for me later. Or you're gonna... That was never the case ever. That was never the case at all. He always did it out of kind of the kindness of his heart, not necessarily with any expectation on mine. And that's why I think me and him just kind of work. That's beautiful, man. I love hearing that. I love hearing that. So as you grow, as you come up, you come over to mm-hmm. Europe, and I asked Sean Dylan Kelly this, what was your first oh shit moment where you're like, this is a different level right here? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he tells I'll a story. Tell you anyway. if, if you see it, he tells a story about <laughs> He's, he said he's got it pinned and he's feeling good about himself. And then Raul Fernandez just comes around him like, what? And he's like, are you shitting me? <laughs> so, I remember I, I actually watched, I watched that episode. Um, but for me, it was the first weekend that I was racing, racing in Italy. It was actually at Magello. I remember there's two kind of, there's two kind of times. The first one, the big one was, I remember in practice, even this wasn't qualifying. This wasn't the race. We're going down the front straightaway at Magella, which on a Moto3 bike feels like forever. Yeah. So you're just paying, you're going down. And the other guys, when they would draft next to me, they would literally, they would, they, would, they would come as close to me as possible and they would bump me with their elbow and they would push me all the way out onto the white line until I rolled off and let them by. And I was like, this is how they race here. And I was <laughs> like, and I remember at the time I was like all fuming and angry and um, I remember I came back in and my dad's like, well, then give it back to them. I don't know what to tell you. He's like, just give it back to them. And so I did. And, you know, that's, and there wasn't any kind of, you know, hate or feud or anything like that. That's just how they rode. And then the second point was, I remember battling in the group with these Moto3 guys. And um, at one point I had gotten to the front of the group and I started opening up a little gap. 
And what they would do is if they saw I was starting to get away, going into certain corners, they would outbreak themselves, know that they're not going to make the corner, but they would push me wide and bring me back into the group with them. Oh, that's dirty. <laughs> and so I think about it and I was like, you know, that's crazy. Like I've never experienced something like that racing here in the U S and, you know, thinking about it, like if I had done something like that to one of these guys, they would freak out, you know, yeah. there would, there would be a fist fight in the paddock, but yeah. here they just, they're just, that's just how they ride. And, wow. um, it's crazy. Crazy. Man. That it, it, mentioning it on uh, Magello, I mean, to me, that, that's one of my favorite tracks to watch. Matter of fact, that's the first track that I ever went to in Europe to watch the race. That was when you, uh, when Valet was racing with uh, Ducati. But just the fact that they're giving you the elbow going down that straight. If you don't know what that straight, anybody doesn't know what we're talking about. I think that's a that's a mile long straight, isn't it? That's a mile long straight. One of the longer straights. Yeah. Yeah, that one and the one in Qatar. They're both mile long, and the fact that they're you out like you better roll off and you do what, what if you didn't roll off what would have happened you think? Rest. Oh. <laughs> did you ever get the did red mist? did you ever get the red mist I, I can't see you getting angry but did you ever get angry yeah when i ride angry i ride the best really <laughs> I'm angry okay. yeah so me whenever like there's been a couple times where like, and my dad knows it too. Like he, and he, he's like, he's like pushed the buttons right before I had to go out. And then I do really well. And it's like, when I'm angry and I have that like motivation, that hunger, it's like, I don't know. I feel like there's two different personality types. Either a, you go to zero and you like shut off altogether, or it goes to the extreme. For me, I'm one of those that goes to the extreme when I'm angry, when I'm writing. And now, now, what, now what does he do? What kind of buttons does he push? And what makes you mad? Like, what makes you go, okay, okay, now you're going to get the real Damien? Um, usually it's just, um, he'll, he'll tease me a little bit. He'll be like, you know, you, you're, you're not going to win this race. He's like, but it's okay. You know, you should learn. You should, you know, you can get fifth or whatever. It's okay. And I'm like, no, what are you talking about? No, I want to win. Like little things like that. Like he'll he'll push my buttons and then I do well. And I'm like, did you really feel that? He's like, no, I knew you'd do well, but I knew I had to. <laughs> so it's not just him that's done that either. You know, it's it's sometimes it happens on accident too. Yeah. You know, a rider will try and mess with me or try and get in my head and then it Like how? What do they do? Like what 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 will a rider do to try to get in your head? Like yeah. For the most part, when it comes to just in the paddock in general, trying to get in each other's head is just like, you know trying to make them feel like they there's no way that they can beat you because of X, Y, and Z, whatever reason they kind of come up with. And, you know, just like boxing, just like other sports, you know, you'll see them kind of tease each other, or like kind of mess with each other. And it's like, it's kind of funny, you know, you'll see riders or athletes in general, like their performance goes to zero. <laughs> yeah. Which is what something I can't, understand mm -hmm. is that you know you guys are the top of the top you train your bodies mm -hmm. you I mean you're going in, in the corners you know a fourth a fifth year a fifth gear sweeper mm -hmm. you're doing all this but it boils down to that three inches between the ears and how you can get in somebody's it's always amazed me how you can do that to somebody like i've watched i don't know if you watched um um uh when the desmo dovi the uh the red bull documentary of uh Divicioso, when he was racing his marquez and what Marquez did to him mentally, man, you go, wow. I mean, to the point of, I mean, Dobie was like, pretty much toward the end. I mean, because what Marquez is doing to him mentally. So how is it that you, you can get in somebody's head when you're already at the top of your game and you're racing? I mean, how do you do that 
to where you just affect their performance on the track? So honestly, you know, again, we go back to those kind of like two personality types, you know, it can go both ways. Like, I don't necessarily know how people let it affect them just because I'm the other personality type, you know, and like, for example, the other personality type being like a Mark Marquez or like, I remember I heard a story about Michael Jordan where I forgot what player it was and they, um, they were, they were doing well in the game. Fourth quarter came and they're like, Oh, and they're like, Oh, I'm doing well. Blah, 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 blah. And Michael Jordan's like, Oh, okay. You, you're not going to score for the rest of the game. And that just, just something like that. And then he made it happen. Um, Similar with Rossi and Sete when he goes, you'll never win another race again. And he didn't. He did. and I, yep. How do you, I'm, I'm like, how does that, and you met Rossi, by the way, you were in his like little Academy. What was that like? So that was amazing just because I was able to ride on track with him at Mizano. You know, they would do those private days where he'd ride the R1 and the other Academy guys would ride. And then I would ride the Moto3 bike a couple of times. I went for the testing, but um, that was crazy. You know, the majority of it wasn't Italian. My Italian isn't the best, <laughs> but just kind of being in that environment, you know, you, 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 it's hard to explain. You have this weird feeling, you know, you have all these riders who are the, literally the best in the world and, you know, just being around them, feeling their presence, like it, it, it motivates you, you know, it makes you feel like, you know, I belong here. This is where I should be, you know, and it, it just motivates you to train harder, to ride harder and et cetera. What did anything being there affect your training on or off track when you came back here? Like, see how they did it and did it work for you? Like, sometimes, you know, somebody's mm-hmm. training methods won't work for you, but you appreciate mm-hmm. how they did it, or maybe you can extract little elements from that. So, like, yeah. did anything they did make you go, aha, that's what I need to do? Yeah. So, what I kind of, kind of have learned is that all the riders have different different ways of training just based off of personal preference. You know, there isn't necessarily something that all the guys are like, I have to do this. Otherwise I can't ride. A lot of it comes, does come down to personal preference. Like some guys like cycling, some guys prefer running, some guys prefer flat tracks Some guys prefer motocross Some guys do both, you know? Um, but one thing I noticed regardless, this went across the board for all of them is whenever they did any kind of training, they did it to the max. You know, if they went cycling, they want to compete in the Tour de France. If they went motocrossing, they want to race in MXGP, you know, that's the mentality they have going into every single training, regardless of what it was. And that's something I definitely learned. You know, there are no easy trainings. There are no recovery trainings. It's all, if you're going to do something, you're going to do it to the best and figure out how you can do it at the best. That's something that I learned. Now, this is a hard one because it's like a, there's no shade being thrown here, but it's like, and I kind of, this is where I kind of like felt for you because in the same way, like I was living in LA forever trying to, you know, get the career going or whatever. And then so when I, I got, you know, I was banging my head against the wall going, you know what, I got to leave here. So then I moved to Indy and there was a, kind of a little bit of depression and it kind of still there sometimes or whatever, but it's like. Because I felt like, ah, you know, I left the dream or whatever. But, you know, then I rebounded. I got this. And then I still do comedy. Then I do acting, whatever. But for a little bit, there was a little bit of a depression because I felt like I was giving up the dream or whatever. And now I found my footing. It was that. Did you ever feel that way when you went to Europe? And, you know, not to say it didn't work, but, you know, it, it it didn't get to, you know, like Moto3 or whatever, whatever. But you're still racing. So when you came back. Was there like a little depression or like, wow, that was tough. And I, you know, I, I didn't do as well as I wanted to, blah, blah, blah. Let me regroup. I mean, did you feel a little bit of that? So definitely. So when it came to that, um, the hardest thing for me, you know, 
when I first came back from Italy, I left Italy, you know, kind of on a high note by the end racing in Italy, I was always racing at the front of the group. You know, I was battling for podiums. I was battling for wins. So I was kind of there. So when I left Italy, I didn't necessarily have that kind of feeling inside. Um, but then I raced in Spain and after Spain didn't go as planned, you know, and after that, I kind of always told myself, um, from a young age, you know, by the time I'm 18 years old, I'm going to know whether I'm going to be making a living racing motorcycles or not, you know, and that's kind of the point where I'm going to have to make a decision in what I want to do in life. And for me, leaving Spain after it didn't go well. And after COVID, you know, sponsorship in the entire motorcycle road racing industry really changed. You know, all of a sudden companies that were willing to give you money here and there, they, they were kind of pulling back because they were even suffering financially themselves. Um, so for me, when I came back from Spain and I was like, okay, my plan was I'm going to, I want to race super sport 600 in Moto America. All of a sudden teams are asking for $90,000 just to race for their team. They're asking for $120,000, you know, and now that I am reaching young adulthood, I have bills myself. You know, I, I can't take $120,000 out of my pocket that I don't have to go race, you know, and I'm not making any. Does that make sense? Just sell the condo. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you can, you're young, man. You can live in the back of a pickup truck. I mean, take a shower at, at the gym. I mean, come on, dude. Sacrifice. So... When I did come back, you know, that, that was kind of the situation we were in and, and we couldn't find sponsorships. I was willing to cover all that. And, you know, it, at first I was like, you know what, you know, I'm going to have a fun hobby for the rest of my life. And, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, but going into Windsor, like it killed me inside, like knowing that I don't get to do what I love most and what I do better than I do anything else. You know, it, it, it hurt. It stunk. And especially during the winter when you can't ride anyway, you know, it, it, you know, it boiled inside, you know, it lingered on me and it really, really bothered me. So what I ended up doing was we ended up getting with a dealership that been a part of, you know, my racing since I first started at eight years old. And, um, they were going to let me use a CBR 1000, um, to race in the Wira national Superbike championship. And so you know, my mentality was, you know, I'm going to go in my first season. I'm going to try and do really well in the following season. I'm going to try and win the championship. And then hopefully it, it'll be much easier to sell myself as, you know, I just won the national Superbike championship. You know, I'm looking to race Moto America, X, Y, and Z. So from there happened and I ended up doing well my first season. I ended up getting second in the national championship, won a couple of races, was always kind of at the front there. And on top of that, the bike was bone stock, stock suspension. Headlights were literally taped over. Like the bike was stock. And wow. I was racing against these 230 horsepower ZX-10s and bikes like that. And I learned a lot last year just because I had to almost override the bike, push the bike past some of its limits just to be able to keep up. So I definitely learned a lot as a rider. And what was good about that, I think, was even though I was kind of in my mind coming to an end of my racing, I was still improving as a rider. You know, mm -hmm. I never did take a step back. I always was moving forward. Um, so from there, end of the year, I ended up getting a good opportunity for this season to race a, um, a 600 and R6 in the 600 national championship, but it wouldn't be our bike. You know, I'd be racing for a team. It would be a show up and ride kind of, kind of deal with them. Um, and these guys, I, 
give them all the credit in the world. Um, Mr. CBX racing, um, the guy, Robbie Ringnalda, he's the owner and me and him had known each other for some years racing. We before I even went to Europe and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's always kind of been around and always just one of those guys that said, hey, to at the pits or laughed and joked with for a while. But then when things did get kind of serious and I was in a tough situation, you know, he really stepped up and, and I owe all the credit to him. So for this season, that's kind of what I've been doing. You know, I've been racing the National 600 Championship. And um, but, you know, kind of one thing that is very different now that I am getting into young adulthood is that again, I have bills. So I work a full-time job on top of all that. So my priorities and mentality are kind of different now than they were before, if that makes sense. Yeah. But okay. Have you ever thought about like, you know, even though you're born and raised in Chicago area, whatever, you ever thought about like maybe moving to like, I don't know, California or Florida where the weather's great and you can, you know, better train, especially Florida. I mean, you could, mm-hmm. in California, you can race there all, all year round. It's better training. Why have you ever thought about that? Um, the thing that's tough about that is um, both of my parents wouldn't be able to pick up and move. This was before yeah. um, they were never really able to kind of pick up and go. My, my father's a police officer. Um, my mom works in a hospital. Um, they were never really able to pick up and move like that. So we kind of made do with what we had. And now I'm kind of at a point where I wouldn't be able to move that far away. Um, I'm just not in that position. I just wouldn't be able to right now. Um, if something really presented itself, depending on where it would be, I mean, it would be something I'd have to talk about, but it wasn't never really on the cards, just kind of moving to somewhere warmer. Now, I mean, there's always things we can't, we don't see, you know, we talk out of our ass when you, when you don't want to be like me, we talk out of our ass what happens, but you know, like what happened in Spain during the European, I think it was a European talent cup or whatever you race, like what happened there? Like sometimes it's the bike, sometimes it's just, or sometimes it's just not working and you can't really mm-hmm. put your finger on it. Like, you know, if I could be so rude to ask, like, like what really happened? So first thing was, was originally going into it, um, the plan was to race in the Moto3 championship, not the European Talent Cup. Mm-hmm. When I found out that I was going to be racing in the European Talent Cup instead, the biggest thing I struggled with were was, you know, I'm five foot ten and I'm light for someone who's five foot ten. I was only 145 pounds. Oh my God. But these Spanish kids were five foot tall, hundred pounds, like it. I was size wise, it was, it was a big disadvantage for me, you know, and I had been racing previously a Ninja 400 or bikes that were bigger, you know, or 600s. So that was the first thing. And when we looked at all the data, we saw that I was losing 1.6 seconds per lap just because of the speed itself. When we compared data with other riders that were significantly smaller than me, you could see in the data, some of the corners I would be getting on the throttle sooner than them and getting on harder than them. But just because of the weight itself, it, it really can't be explained. That's the only thing we've kind of come down to. I was losing a significant amount of time and speed just because of that alone. That was the first thing. And, you know, when I went over there, they made me lose a lot of weight, which as a skinny person with really low body fat, That's the only thing I could lose is a little bit of muscle that I did have. So I did a lot of fasted cardio. So in the morning we'd wake up at 6am, go cycling in the Spanish mountains, you know, and then we wouldn't stop really until I would 
either have to stop to puke or, you know, get a real quick swig of water. Um, so I ended up going from 145 to I ended up weighing, I think it was 126 pounds. Oh my God. You were basically being a wrestler as a motorcycle racer, basically what you're doing. I mean, honestly, cause I wrestled and I know yeah. what that's like. Mm -hmm. And that is not a good feeling, man. Cause you're it's always- It's not, you know, always hungry, always weak, you know, yes. always tired. Um, not a lot of energy. And um, what sucked was, was I was still, even after kind of suffering through that, I was still losing a 1.6 seconds per lap. You know what I mean? Just from that. Cause we, oh. we took that data at the end of the season. So for me, that was, that was the one tough thing, you know, I mean, there was more to it. Of course, I'm sure I'm not saying I was best rider in the world. You know, there was definitely things I could have improved on, but that was the first significant thing. Um, the second thing that was kind of tough, um, especially because of COVID, um, when I was living in Spain, I was 16. I had my own apartment out there and I was living all by myself. You're always killing it. You're always killing it. 16 <laughs> so for Spain. me, I had to, I had no choice, but to kind of grow up quickly. I had to teach myself how to cook, teach myself how to clean, learn how to get around a country where I don't speak the language. Yeah. Um, so for me, that was kind of tough mentally, but also my family and friends couldn't just come visit me because of COVID. They couldn't fly to Europe. So I was really out there all by myself, you know, and especially with the time change, you know, it wasn't like I could just pick up the phone and call a friend, you know, I, I probably could, but I mean, you know, just being considerate, you can't call someone at 3 a.m. every single day. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that was kind of tough also. You know, mentally, that was that was something that was tough. And I think that was the biggest thing I learned coming out of racing in Europe was the mental side of it. I, I feel like I'm a lot more mentally strong afterwards than I was before, you know, because it's tough to go through hard times, especially like, you know, when I was racing in Europe, I was... I was pushing as hard as I could. I was riding the bike, you know, at the best of my ability. And, you know, there's no worse feeling than you're doing everything you possibly can and you're just not winning. Uh -huh. You know, it's, it's tough. And, you know, when you only have really yourself to rely on, it's kind of hard to get past that, you know, but I feel like getting past that mentally definitely um, changed my view or my perspective on certain things, you know? Well, did it help or did it hinder? Because, I mean, the great thing about it, and it sounds so cliche, but I'm at the part of my life where life is a cliche and it works, is that, like, you get through those hard times, you find a way. I mean, it makes you just that much, it has that layer of toughness on top of it. So when you're going through it, man, when, I mean, I think I stayed up a couple of nights and tried to watch you race. I really did. I think I stayed up a couple of nights and watched your races on YouTube. And and I was just feeling for you. Like, even though we didn't talk, we didn't talk I was like, God damn it. You, you had to be going through this. So how did you get through that? I mean, there had to be somebody you relied on. Or what was your mechanism for getting through? Because some people, you know, when Marquez wins, he goes and gets a pizza. Because that's the way he rewards himself, you know? So like, or when times are tough, you know, some people have maybe a dog or whatever. Like, what did you get through or that helped you get through those difficult times? So starting with um, the first point you made, you know, at the time when I was going through it, I felt it hurt a little um, just because, you know, my confidence was a little lower than before. You know, mentally, I was a little more exhausted than before. Afterwards, I definitely think it helped me. You know, I think it was definitely an advantage, you know, getting through hard times all by yourself. You know, it's, it's, you rely on yourself and, you know, I made it happen. Um, from there, kind of the way, 
I can honestly say I never really had an effective way of getting through it at the time being. You know, there wasn't necessarily anything I did that was like, okay, you know, I'm struggling mentally. This is what I'm going to do to get through it. You know, it was one of those things where I just kind of barreled through it, dealt with it, you know, pushed through it. And as tough as it was, you know, I just, that's what, that's what I did. Wow, man. I mean, to be 16 in the country, you don't speak the language and you're by yourself and you come through the other side, bro. I mean, you have no idea. That's incredible because now you got to realize, I mean, it's not that you're bulletproof, but like, if you can get through that, you can almost get through anything in life now. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, I personally feel like the racing over the years, you know, it gave me so much life experience in a short amount of time. You know, I feel like I definitely have a different perspective on life, you know, anything in general, thanks to racing. Um, I feel like my work ethic definitely is different and it, it's a much better just because of racing. There's so much I owe to racing and that's something that I'm still so passionate about, you know, yeah. um, there's so much because of that points that we're bringing up now, getting through things that are tough, that, that really put me kind of in the position I am now. Was there ever like a, like say, I don't know, a, a bad crash maybe during that time also, or just period that made you rethink like, you know what? I mean, was there ever like a crash that made you go, huh? Not at all. So it's funny, actually the, my first weekend racing in Italy race one, I ended up fifth race two. I ended up having a big crash and I ended up shattering the bones and least three fingers. You can see they're still crooked. Oh, yeah, and NFL uh, lineman, man. That, that, that one was rough because I could, when I took my glove off, I could see the bones sticking out of all my fingers. But the first question I asked was, how long am I going to be out? Cause I have a race at the end of the month at Mizano. <laughs> so <laughs> That's a injury, injury never kind of hindered any of my racing thoughts at all. Man, that is great to hear. I mean, I mean that from the bottom of cause I, I would think like it has to be one. Well, there's, there's a time and it's always like, uh, what makes, uh, Basketball, mm-hmm. football players, basketball players is always that one good hit and they go, you know what? I'm playing basketball. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> has that. So I always want to know, like, with a racer, like, when does that happen for you? We have that one crash makes you go, you know what? I might not want to do this. I'm, I'm good now. I'm good. Yeah. So far, I haven't experienced that. So can't complain. So, man, like, are you are you chomping at the bit to get back to Europe? I mean, I, I, I hear you talking. I hear you, but I'm also seeing you. And I kind of feel like you've like have that like, you know, unfinished business to you. Like you want to go. Is there a part of you that's like, you know what? I want to go back now. Knowing what I know now, I had to go back, get, you know, get myself right or whatever. And now come back and put it on them. The thing is, is the, the opportunity would have to really make sense. It wouldn't be able to be a, the same situation. You know, I couldn't just go to the European Talent Cup and live there and do it all over again. That's not something that I would want to do. The position I'm kind of at now would be if I were to get, let's say, a really good super sport ride in Moto America racing 600s, let's say I move up to Superbike or something like that, and then I had the opportunity to go to World Superbike or World Supersport. If that was the case, that's definitely an option I'd like to explore. Um, outside of that, um, again, it, the opportunity would have to really, really make sense. Um, it's not one of those things where I'm like, I have to go back 
to prove anybody wrong. It's more one of those things that if the opportunity really made sense, I would make the most of it. Well, you know, sometimes the dream gets delayed. I mean, I mean, do you still have your eyes on that prize? Because sometimes when, when you go through a lot, you go, okay, you know. And But then I've, I've learned a lot through life. Sometimes the dream gets delayed. There's never one path to where you want to get to. And sometimes you make that, you know, like you go this far, but you still have your eyes here. And you end up there, but you might come through the back door or through the side window or whatever. So is your goal still the same as it started out? It's It's definitely changed probably a hundred times over the time since I started riding. Um, so basically when I first went to Europe, you know, again, before that, I never really had any kind of crazy, just like any kid, I'd love to race a MotoGP, but there was never really a clear path. After I started racing in Italy, it was like, okay, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to do well. I'm going to go to world Moto three and climb through the ranks. After I left Italy, came back to racing Moto America. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go through Moto America. My dream is I want to get to Motor America Superbike, win a championship. And then from there, if it works out, I'd love to go to World Superbike. I'd love to go to MotoGP from there, you know. Um, then I went back to Spain and I was like, okay, do this. From there, I'm going to go to Moto3 World Championship. So it was kind of all over the board. Now I'm in kind of a, a funny situation, you know. I'm in a situation now where I feel like I'm riding at the best I have before. You know, I'm, I'm riding my riding level, I feel like is the same as it was before. Um, but I just need that kind of opportunity. You know, the thing is, is now to race for a really, really good team. Um, of course there's some exceptions, um, but you need to, you need to, you need to pay. That's just how it is to race for any teams. And in Europe, it was the same thing or America, it's the same thing, you know, and, and before there was always sponsorship involved, you know, there was always sponsors kind of, giving money here, giving money there, and they would kind of cover most of it. Um, now things are different. You know, it, it's really hard to be able to get 120 grand from a team just to be able to go race Motor America Super Sport. You know, it, it's real tough. It's real tough. Teams like M4 asking, or teams in general, I should say, are asking for money that's just, it's, it's not reasonable for me to pay out of pocket. You know, if it was a sponsorship involved, it's different, but I did just not money that I could pay myself. So if I did get the opportunity, my dream is always just to make a living racing motorcycles. It's what I love more than anything in the world. And if I could do it, I would love to. Um, but in the meantime, um, while I'm hoping for that opportunity to come my way and I'm, I'm trying to make it happen, um, I work full time. I'm actually a salesman at a motorcycle dealership. I know. I saw that logo. This look at this kid. You look like a real salesman too. I mean, you do. You look all like like. If I walked in, I go. I want to talk to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'm doing now. Um, you know, obviously it covers my bills, and I'm, I want to save money on top of that as well. You know, there are some investments that I'd like to make in the future. You know, like rental properties, real estate, is something that really interests me. <laughs> that, that's great but you know what though honestly and it, it, it's it's a fine line i hear you but sometimes you can't get too comfortable because i mean you have a great i can just tell you have a great condo i can just tell from this little angle. <laughs> I, go, 
I'm gonna move. I want to. Oh my! Look at you! Look at the backsplash! You should be on HGTV with that backsplash. That was nice. I watched out of HGTV. That's where I'm at in my life. But that's a nice backsplash. But you're getting too. Don't get too comfortable because if you really want to, sometimes you got to make yourself uncomfortable. Sometimes you got to make that that sacrifice. Which not that you haven't, but mm-hmm. I mean, you're still only 19, man. I know, and I know. You can still go, I mean, like I said, there's Moto America, which is here, which is great if that's what you want to do, or you can go to BSB. You didn't meet, you know, British Superbike, man, that's what Brandon did. He went over there and won that championship. Or, you know, World Super, uh, World Super Sport, whatever. I mean, there's so many paths, man. You're too talented not to. I just don't want you to get too, so so comfortable. Like, well, I guess I'll just... Uh, Guess I'll just buy another rental property. I'll just race where on the weekend. I guess <laughs> since I I got a Ferrari already, I got a payment. I'll be okay. I want you. To, you're, you're still a teenager. You can't drink legally, which is great. You can't do any. I mean, you can't even go to a bar. So when you come home from we come home from work, we probably go work out, right? Probably go to, uh, maybe go bike ride, right? Or go to the gym because I can tell right now you have about maybe maybe three percent body fat. Look at this guy. Like you got that, you got, you got that Dolph Lundgren two, 2.0 look to you. So you can go to the gym, you come home, you can still be focused. You're not going to be like a, a, a grown person who's 21, they go to a bar, and they get a little flat, you know, get a little fat, and you go, I can still beat your track time. You know, like, yeah, whatever. That's, that's right. Dave, he's a has been. You still have it in you. You have to get to the point. You have to, no, don't get too comfortable with how you're living. You got to be like, you still got to make yourself hungry. Like on Rocky. Remember on Rocky, like when he fought Mr. T, Mr. T beat his ass that first fight? Because Mr. T was living in a place where it was like a dungeon. And he was lifting weights. He was doing those pull-ups. Yeah. And he beat yeah. Rocky's ass because Rocky got too comfortable. And that's what you got to do. And you got to get a book. I don't, know how you, I don't know how you get motivated, but there's a book called, it would help me, called Project 369, which is great. You write your, your what you want to manifest and when you want to affirm it. And you, and I, Honestly, it's a great book if you believe in something like that. That that and The Secret are the greatest books to me. You know what I mean? It just keep you on a good positive path. And what I like about Project 369 is that it it you write it out and it's proactive. And you can look at it and it tr- you chart your your progress mentally every day. And it, and it's just something I think that would help you out because like I said, man, I know you can say what you want to say, but I know I've been there with you, D. I've been there in Laguna when you pulled it in and you talked to Heath about what's it like out there. Well, you know, I've seen that in you, man, and you still get you're only 19. I mean, Jesus, man, you still got it. You still got it. There, there's, there's still room left in you. You still got that talent. What I say, whether it's Moto America or BSB, you can do it, bro. So, like I said, don't get too comfortable. I don't want to see you on HGTV like, a, hi, I'm Damien, and watch how I sell rental properties. I don't want to see that, bro. <laughs> I still want to see you in your leathers. You know, I want to see you doing this to people going down a front street. I want to be like, oh, my God, Damien's kind of a dick now. You know what I mean? I want, I want, to, see, <laughs> I want to see you doing that, bro. So, yeah, never get too comfortable. That's my thing. Never get too comfortable man no and, and it's true like my passion is in racing 100 percent. like i said a hundred times already i can tell you ain't gotta take you ain't gotta say it to me i don't know yeah. I, don't, I don't know who you're talking to because i can tell that i can feel that everybody can feel that there's people walking the street they're going this guy really wants to race i mean i can see these people <laughs> like me. yeah the guy wants to race i don't know why he's talking to you but yeah so that's what you got to do bro you got to get you to the mental right. space i don't care where you are or whatever man miracles happen in this i mean you how many people can say they were actually sponsored by or got helped by John Wick? John Wick, yeah. Keanu Reeves helped this dude, man. That's how special this dude is. Who had, who could say that? Only you, bro. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that, that was an incredible experience. And, and 
I think that's the most my family has ever been interested in my racing was that period of time. Um, well, that's kind of a funny story also. Um, so the first time I actually met Keanu Reeves, it was at Coda and my dad was like, look, it's Keanu Reeves. And at the time me being young, I had no idea who he was. Really? <laughs> and so, uh, and so my dad was like, that's Keanu Reeves. I was like, okay. <laughs> My dad's like, well, go talk to him. I was like, okay. So one thing that later on that Keanu said he really appreciated was when I talked to him, you know, I talked to him just like I would any other person. We talked about motorcycles. We talked about stuff like that. And, you know, as a guy who now I know is, you know, top tier celebrity, anyone that goes up to him is like, oh, I seen this movie. I seen that movie. You know, it's, it's never, I don't know. They never really talk to him about things that he's really actually interested. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and so talking to him just as a kid, like, you know, yeah, there's this motorcycle race, this, that he appreciated that. And he actually contacted my manager at the time. We said roots and he actually um, had my family and I fly out to Laguna Seca where they were having arch was having an event, arch motorcycles. And I got to ride with him on track and kind of spend some time with him. And we really just kind of clicked you know, we got along well, you know, I would give him tips on riding and things like that. And Did you um, smoke him? Did you smoke him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that, that was kind of cool passing John Wick. <laughs> but um, what was cool was, you know, from there, you know, he decided to sponsor me and support me, him and his partner, Guard Hollinger. And those guys are great. You know, I still have a good relationship with them. We, you know, we still talk to each other and it's, they're, they're just incredible people in general. Um, but what was fun, kind of funny was he was like, after, you know, we're like, okay, we're going to have sponsorship. Um, he was like, okay, but part of it is you have to see these movies of mine. He told me I had to see Bill and Ted's great adventure. He told me I had to see. And so then after I see these movies, the next time I saw him, I was a little starstruck, you know, it was so different. I was like, wow, this guy's really like top of the line. You know, this guy's <laughs> legit. <laughs> so from that point moving forward, it was, it was cool. What, what was your favorite movie? What was your favorite movie of his? Point Break. I really, really? like Point Break. Yep, yep, Point Break. I am not an FBI agent. <laughs> What's your favorite line? Your favorite line from Point Break? Oof, I don't know what favorite line. Um, Everybody's got a favorite line in every movie. Come on now. Was his character your favorite or, or, or was it, or was it Patrick Swayze? No, he's my boss. I have to say Keanu Reeves. Are you man, crazy? You, you <laughs> gotta say shit, man. You can be, be real. Keep it real, bro. Yeah. No, you can't say, Reeves, keep it real. Okay. 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 No. Okay. No. Yeah. And, and I saw a bunch of movies of his, you know, I like the matrix movies, matrix movies. Um, for the first John Wick movies, probably one of my favorites of his, you know, it's kind of up there with point break. Um, what is your favorite movie, actually, by the way? What are your favorite movies? Because I don't know. We don't know you any other, other than racing. I never thought about that. We don't know you other than racing. It's always racing, racing, racing. But you mm-hmm. might be this whole other character we don't even know about. You know what I mean? Like, seriously, you might, you, might be an anime, you might be an anime dude. Like, oh, my God. You know what I mean? You might, you no. might be a furry. You go in your I'm room. I'm not an anime dude. <laughs> <laughs> you go in your room. You got a big panda head. Like, oh, my God. I didn't know you got into this. No, like, so what's your, what's your, what's your thing? Like, other than racing, what, what, is, what is your thing? Like, what do you get away from? Like, when you get away from racing, because it can't be racing, racing me all the time. So, is are you a cook? Yeah. Or, when you're not, so, when you're not acquiring rental properties, what are you doing? <laughs> so, 
So actually a lot of that real estate stuff and business numbers like that are things I am interested in. Um, I read books off of that in general, but so movies, so it's kind of funny you mentioned the Rocky movies. I watch every single Rocky movie at least once throughout the year, every single one once. Um, so I've always been an eighties action movie kind of, kind of guy. I love the Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Van Damme. Those are like my favorite actors. Um, obviously outside of Keanu, um, <laughs> but eighties action movies are like, were always my favorites, you know? So the Rocky movies, the Rambo movies, um, Terminator movies, like those were kind of my, uh, my selection to pick from. It's so funny you say that because honestly, it's like, to get inspiration, the 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 one called Balboa, that was the one that gave me inspiration. When he goes, hey, I got a little something inside the still in the basement, man. He goes, what are you talking about, Rocky? It's still something inside the basement. <laughs> and that's what made me want to do. That's what got me through jujitsu. I was going to do MMA, but that's mm-hmm. what gave me want to do. I was just sitting on my ass. I go, yeah, so I want to do. Rocky movies do inspire you. People say what they want to say, but man, yeah. they make you go, yeah, like I always watch the original Rocky because that is the uh, that is the ultimate uh, uh, under uh, underdog. underdog story. Everybody gets into that, man. For me, it was Balboa because I got a little older. So with me, it's Balboa. But always watch either, you shouldn't be watching Balboa because you're still young, but watch Rocky. And to me, The Predator is one of the best movies ever made. You ever watch yep, Predator? I like Predator. Yep. Okay, so. so I've seen a, pretty much all of them. I've seen all of them. <laughs> so, so as a metaphor, as a metaphor, watch Predator and that that, spe- that species, that's that's the rest of the world and you're a racer and you got to find a way to defeat it. And that's what you do. So yeah. uh, so you're, you will defeat it and it'll be laughing at you at that last minute. And go, <laughs> But, you know, you'll defeat it because you'll find a way to be racing right. in BSB or Moto America, whatever. And it's all because of me. And I told you to watch these old 80s and 90s movies. <laughs> You know, I honestly feel if you want something bad enough, you can never really give up. And, you know, even now I'm still doing my best to make it happen with racing. You know, I'm still racing a bike. Um, I'm still trying to set things up for next year with Moto America. You know, I'm still talking to teams. I'm still trying to make it happen. You know, that that dream really hasn't left, you know, that that hope hasn't 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 left yet. Um, Things around my life can change kind of all they want, whether it be priorities, bills, whatever. But, you know, what I want is still still never really led off the path, you know? That's, that, man, you're, you said it right, right there. And get post-it notes and you stick, <laughs> stick them on your bathroom window because you always have to go in and brush your teeth. I mean, I like it. Mm-hmm. You got great teeth, so you're always going to brush your teeth. So <laughs> stick them on your bathroom window, I mean, your bathroom mirror, and you'll see that every day when you wake up. And so it'll keep you focused. I mean, you're 19, so you should be focused already. But uh, keep you focused. I mean, don't worry about the girls. I saw the picture of you at the prom or whatever with some chick or whatever. I thought that's great. <laughs> it's kind of funny that you say that. <laughs> she she <here>? happens to be. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Oh man. I hope I didn't. Oh God. She's probably gonna hate me. What did he say about me? He said what? Oh my God. I hate that guy. <laughs> oh my God. Why did you tell me that, man? Now she's gonna hate me. She's. <laughs> she, she, no, it's all good. She's it's gonna cancel good. me. She's gonna. She's gonna write a bad Yelp review about Tales for Gemini. <laughs> this no, guy's a she's, jerk. Uh, she's awesome. She's always, you know, she's very, she's very supportive in all the stuff I do, and you know, she's. Definitely, uh, definitely a really positive impact in my life. She's well, cool. no, I can tell by the pictures, man. And you're a good dude anyway. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Like, I've known you off track. And I can pretty much tell somebody who's kind of fake or whatever. You've always been nothing but just down, I mean, just down to earth, 
focus. I mean, and everybody pulls for you, bro. I mean, there's, you know, some guys get a little a reputation, you know, here and there, whatever, and you go, okay, whatever. But, man, everybody pulls for you, man, because you're just a good dude. And I mean it. Everybody pulls for you. Everybody loves you, man, because, I mean, you really are. You're the kind of guy that you can't help, man. You got, like I said, you got the supermodel good looks. You speak well. You got John Wick sponsor you. I don't know why, honestly, he can't have a part of his budget uh, from a movie that, to help you go racing. And just put, know, like, right? put John Wick on the motorcycles. People go see the movies as you're being sponsored, but that's just me. But if I was me, if I, if I was making movies, that's what I would do. I have a little part in my contract, but anyway, that's just me. But anyway, <laughs> stay focused on your dreams. Tell your girlfriend that, you know, that, 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 that tell her that I was just joking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but man, listen, you stay focused, bro. We always pull for you. I know you're going to find a way. And I mean, if I know you're going to find a way, I appreciate you coming in on a, on a Sunday, man. Cause I know, you know, you're 19. I don't know what you're going to do. You're 19, but I'm going to take walking the park. I don't know what you guys going to do. Get another <laughs> rental property. I don't know what you're going to do, but man, I appreciate your time, DJ. Before we get out of here, man, I want you to tell me what's the best racetrack in America. Best racetrack in America. Um, that's torn between road America and road Atlanta. Really? Yep. I thought for sure you were going to say Coda or Barber. Haven't ridden Coda. Um, Barber, I really like. Um, I, I grew up racing there since forever. I really like that track. Um, my riding style doesn't necessarily, it's not 100% suited by Barber. Um, Road Atlanta and Road America are. My kind of riding style is I'm a super late hard breaker. That's kind mm -hmm. of my strong suit. So tracks with those long straightaways where you have to break real hard. That's, that's kind of where I make my money. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. And the greatest European track you've ever ridden on. Magello. Yeah. I love that track. Isn't that great? Magello and Portimao. Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to try to go to Portimao next year and I'm going to Mazzano next week. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Mazzano's a great one too. Yeah, I'm flying there next week. I can't wait, man. I love going to Italy. I'm going to probably gain about 10 pounds eating there. Good Italian food. <laughs> I can't wait, man. Man, Damien, God damn it. I, I just, I cannot tell you how much, man, I was looking forward to having you on the show. Finally worked out. Brother, stay focused. I know you will. You, you're gonna you're gonna get that dream, bro. I can just see it. I feel it. It, it it's in your voice. It's in your it's in your eyes. <laughs> I see it's gonna happen, brother. Thank you so much for your time. Anything else you want? Anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Absolutely. So I want to say a big thank you to MrCBX.com and One Up Five Down Racing. You know those guys again. I owe all uh, all of my racing this year to them. Um, I'd also like to say a big thank you to Podium Motorsports Pirelli and One uh, X USA. And then, of course, my mom and dad. Ah, <laughs> oh, look at that. What a great kid to his mom and dad. I love it. Damien Jigalov, thank you so much for your time, brother. It's going to happen. Follow this kid on uh, Instagram, which is Damien Jigalov. Uh, is it, what, what's your number? 78. 78. God, watch, follow Damien Jigalov. Thank you guys for watching Tales from a Gemini, my brother. You have a great one. I can't wait to watch you start killing it again, man. I mean, it from the bottom of my heart. You say, hey, hey. Have a great one. Tell your girlfriend I'm sorry. And uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and not to hate me too much. I'm BT for Tales of Gemini. You know what how I say about this time. You know the word. Pay.